Hey, are you ready? Okay, let's pray, and um, then Sam, all over to you. God, we do ask now that by your Holy Spirit, you would fill Sam and you'd fill us afresh. Lord, we want you to come and change us from the heart. In your name, amen. Who read their Bible today? Come on. Awesome, guys. And if uh, you've fallen off the wagon since last night, get back on the wagon. Cool? All right. Hey, uh, let's continue to look at the life of Joshua and what we can learn from him. We uh, looked at the first night about this whole idea that we, uh, when we follow God, it's about going all in with him and going wherever he wants to lead us. And last night we looked at these uh, disciplines that Joshua had in place in his life to allow him to be used by God so powerfully. And the way that he just loved the word of God and the way that he had a very strong private world with God that he had really fostered from a young age. And so then... As the story continues, we see that Joshua has this monstrous task in front of him. The task that Joshua has is he is called to take a whole lot of land and, uh, and for the Israelites to settle in it. And so it's like, where do you begin with trying to take with, with that sort of stuff in front of you? Now, here's the thing, guys. God's wanting to put dreams in your heart about metaphorical lands he wants to give you. Like God wants to use you, but sometimes it can be like, where do we even begin? And here's the interesting thing with Joshua is that we learn from the life of Joshua that Joshua was really good at just doing the next thing that God told him to do. And that's the key, friends. The Bible says this in Psalm 119, which we actually explored briefly last night. You may have heard the scripture before, but listen to this. It says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Here's often what God does. He puts dreams in your hearts and it's like, how do we get there? Well, this is how you get there. He has this light where it's like one day, Sam and Jen and your family, you're going to be in Napier and you're going to be leading a church. That's what he spoke to us about a year and a half ago. And then uh, it's like, well, how do we do that? Well, his lamp, his word is like a lamp to our path. And my experience has been that God normally only reveals the next step. And so the big question for you is what's the next step after soul that God wants to lead you into? What's the next step? Don't get overwhelmed with the big problems or the big challenges or the big things that God's put on your heart. He's put them there for a reason, but he's going to lead you by just showing you the next step. So Joshua does that. And the next step for Joshua is to send some spies into the city called Jericho. And Jericho was the very first city that Joshua and the Israelite nation would take. And it was really important that they took it. Because if they lost that battle, it's like, well, morale would have been rock bottom. How on earth can we take the land if we can't even take the first city? But God does it in the most random ways. This is how often God works. And so we read uh, that... Uh, he sends these spies into Jericho, and this, there's this woman called Rahab who protects the spies from being caught by those trying to find them because they got word that spies were in there. And Rahab was a prostitute. Now, I love that God uses least likely people. Like, God just loves using least likely people. You know, the people... Some of you guys have, have probably thought this, like, I can see, you know, well, 
you know, I can see how God could maybe use Sam or could maybe use Anna and maybe could use Matt, but I don't know how God could use me. I'm a bit messy. I'm a bit of a munter. I'm a, you know, I've done some dumb things or whatever it may be. And it's like, if you're, if you're thinking anything like that, can I just warn you, that pretty much places a giant bullseye on you because God loves using least likely people. He always does. Why? Because when God uses least likelies, He gets the glory. He gets the glory. And so this is what happens with Rahab. She was messed up. She was making dumb decisions. But listen, in Joshua 2 verse 10, it says this. Rahab says to these people, We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Seor and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. And when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear. And listen to this, everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on earth below. That is a massive declaration of faith coming out of a prostitute's mouth. She's saying, your God is the real God. And we acknowledge that. And she helped them out. And she becomes absolutely instrumental to Joshua and Israel, winning this key strategic victory of taking Jericho. And Rahab's not the only Muppet used by God. This is so encouraging, guys. Listen, here's who God uses throughout the Old Testament and into the New He uses Noah, who got drunk. He uses Abraham, who said he was too old. He uses Isaac, who was a daydreamer. Jacob, who was a liar. Joseph, who got abused by his family. He uses Moses as his mouthpiece, who had a stuttering problem. How good is that? Gideon, who was afraid. Samson, who had long hair and was a womanizer. Some of you in here tonight. Uh, Rahab, who we just met, was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. <laughs> Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. Mary Magdalene also had a sexual history. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. And Lazarus was dead. And this is... If you don't think God can use you, you've got to look at some of the Muppets He uses. If He can use these people, He can use you, and He will, and He will. It doesn't matter about who you are. You're the hero of the story early in the story of Joshua is Rahab, a broken, broken woman. That's the sort of person that Jesus uses. It isn't who you were that matters to God. It's who you are in Him and what he's going to do through his spirit in your life. It's absolutely amazing. And so Rahab winds up in time joining the Israelite community. As they take Jericho, Rahab and her family are spared, and they become part of the Israelite nation. And she is healed in the community. This has happened for some of you guys. As you get into community, God begins to heal you. And this happened for Rahab. Is that rain? Oh, man. Anna, where's Anna? Anna, you said there was going to be no rain. (laughs) That's embarrassing. Um, (laughs) This is what happens to Rahab. Rahab winds up marrying this guy called Salmon, like the fish. Uh, and, And Salmon was the son of Judah's tribal leader. Salmon was a good guy. 
who was a lovely guy who fell in love with Rahab in spite of her history. And there was something that happened in the life of Rahab where God, and he's brilliant at doing this, didn't just restore, but he redeemed Rahab's history and healed her, and made her whole. And so out of this beautiful marriage between Rahab and, uh, and Salmon, uh, they gave uh, birth to this son called Boaz, who was a faithful man of God, and he would marry Ruth. You can read all about that in the book of Ruth. Their son Obed would be the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David. And from David would descend the Savior of all the world, Jesus Christ. Jesus's great, 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 great grandmother was 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 Rahab. How cool is that? And Jesus's family line is this prostitute who actually discovered that God is who He says He is, and as she as she joined the Israelite community, she was whole, and from her line came the Savior of the world. That is cool. That's what God does. God is in the business of redeeming and restoring our lives. So as you work through the book of Joshua, we just see these guys winning battle after battle. There are times when they struggled, and the times they struggled was when they didn't listen to God. Sometimes we can think, oh, God did it this way in, the, in my past, and so he must do it like this in the future. But guys, just stay close to God. And every time you've got a decision to make, and every time you're not sure what to do, get on your knees and ask him, how do we do it now, God? And often it's different. He just constantly is inventive like that. Life with Jesus isn't boring. It's wild, and you never know what's coming next, that how it works. And this is what happened for the guys. They, they won battle after battle. But here's the thing I want to say tonight guys. When you look through the book of Joshua, there's so many battles. When you look at the Christian life, there are so many battles. And here's the thing. We've got to normalize war in the Christian faith. You're in a battle. And sometimes it's like we get shocked. It's like, oh, this is really tough. I don't want it to be tough. The Bible doesn't say anywhere that it's not going to be tough. He just says, the Bible just says that God's going to be with us in those battles. So you've got to normalize war. We've got to harden up as Christians, I reckon. Because we're at, we're at war with the world, the flesh, and the devil, according to the Scriptures. There's constant battles going on there. We have got to normalize the fact that we're at war, and we've got to get smart about how we fight these battles. But here's the good news, is that you're on the winning team. So it's not like some like, oh man, are we going to win this war or not? You're on the winning side. It's like the All Blacks playing the Wallabies. We just know, I'm just know we're going to win, <laughs> right? No, that's a terrible example. You just had to lose an audience in two seconds. It's like being part of the Australian Commonwealth Games team. It's like you guys kicked butt. Like there was just so many medals won. And this is what it feels like when you're fighting a battle with Jesus is that you're on the winning team. And by his spirit, we get given these weapons of warfare to take down the enemy. The thing that concerns me about where we are at sometimes in the church is that we have we've got to this point, I think, where we think that information equals transformation. That somehow if you hear enough inspiring sermons and get into environments like that, that you'll be transformed and that somehow you'll win battles that will see the world get transformed. But Jesus was very, very clear about how we win battles. It's not by hearing, it's by doing. It's not information that equals transformation. It's the application that equals transformation. 
And so this is a great environment. It's a beautiful environment and it's an important environment to get in a number of times a year. But this is not normal life. It's easy to win battles in an environment like this because the worship carries you and the community carries you. But you're going to be going home soon and you're going to be going back to school. And this is why the prayer life and reading the Bible is so important because if you can apply those things to your life, you can begin to, to actually carry yourself rather than depend on conferences like this to carry you. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to strengthen you to fight battles so that you can take ground from the enemy in your schools, in your families, in your workplaces throughout your whole life. He wants to use you to take territory from the enemy. That's what he's all about. And me and my family left everything that we knew in Christchurch to move to a city we didn't know because we we're going to take ground for Jesus. We're determined to. That's why we're there. We're not, we, we live in a rough suburb. Uh, we, it's been, we live by faith. Uh, it's challenging, but it's a battle. And I'm like, bring it on. Bring it on. Because God, the creator of the universe, is with me. Jesus warned his followers in Matthew chapter 7. He says this, If anyone hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, they're like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had the foundation on the rock. But anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus is saying, if you want to, to, to survive the storms of life, you need to apply my word to your life, not just hear it. And so the million dollar question for all of us is, what's the next step? What does God want to do? And I've got a few little ideas about uh, how we can do that. Firstly, is this. We've got to get the mentality, like I've been saying, that we are soldiers for Jesus, and uh, 2 Timothy 2 verse 3, it says this, Join me, how, this is hardcore. Do we have this scripture, Luca? 2 Timothy 2 verse there we go. Uh, that's Matthew 7, the next one. Here we go. This is hardcore. Join me in suffering. Yay! Like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Then it says this in verse 4. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. I'll say that again. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Are you a civilian or are you a soldier? Are you a civilian Christian? You know what civilian Christians are like? They're like, oh, I'll serve if it's kind of the area I like to serve in. Uh, you know, as civilian Christians are like, oh, if it kind of suits my timetable, I'll do stuff for God. You know what a soldier Christian is like? God, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Doesn't, I don't care where in the church you're calling me to serve. I will serve wherever you call me to go. God isn't looking for civilian Christians. He's looking for soldier Christians who are prepared to say, my life is yours, Lord. Use it how you want to use it. John Wimber, the founder of the vineyard, and this has been a saying that has just has been our story in the last year. He said this, we are all just loose change in the hands of God and he can spend, spend us how he likes. Do you want to, is that your heart, friends? That we would just be loose change in the hands of God? 
Spend us however you want to spend us, God. I'm yours. I, I'm not choosing what I want to do. I'm saying, Lord, I'm, I'm yours. I'm, you're my commanding officer and I'm the soldier. You just tell me to jump and I'm just going to say, how high, God? Because I want to follow you wherever you call me. And get this, he loves you and he will always lead you to places of life. So like, that's not a hardcore thing to go, God, I'm just, you know, that's not a scary thing. He's not going to send you to a country you don't want to go to. That's wonky understanding of a good, good father. He is a good, good father. He's wired you. He knows how he's wired you. He loves you. And he's going to call you into places that are going to cause you to come fully alive. But there's suffering involved because we are waging war. And we're going to step up to the plate as a, as a young generation say, I'm prepared to go to those uncomfortable places for Jesus to see ground get taken for the enemy. But there are two main weapons that we've got in our arsenal to use to take ground. And I want to encourage you to use these. Uh, the, the first is prayer. Uh, and the second is the word of God. We've already talked about these two things last night, but we're going to keep on hammering this home. <laughs> Because those two weapons, those are hardcore weapons. And when you combine them, it's dynamite. Listen to this. This is a guy called Dr. Wesley Jewell. And he said this. Prayer is a form of spiritual bombing to saturate any area before God's army of witnesses begin their advance. Prayer is the barrage to drive back the demon hosts which are determined to stop the triumph of Christ. Prayer is the invisible force to break down every opposing wall, to open every iron gate and every fast closed door. Prayer, prayer penetrates every curtain of darkness. Prayer crumbles every bastion of darkness. Prayer demolishes every fortress of hell. Prayer is the all-conquering, invincible weapon of the army of God because Jesus, our victorious captain, lives to intercede. How good's that? Yeah. Prayer is powerful, and when you combine prayer and the Word of God, it's, it's incredibly powerful. Ephesians 6 verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We've been given a sword, and it's this book. That's why it's so important you know it. Hebrews verse 12, 4 verse 12, for the Word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This book is powerful. And so here's... A practical way that I want to give you to help take some ground for the enemy. And now on your seat, hopefully, you've got one of these little bits of paper. Can you grab it? And if you don't have one, can you put your hand up? Because I think we've got some spare ones that's near Luca, and we can hand them out. Does anyone not have one? A couple at the back there. A couple up on the bleachers over here. One of the main ways that God changes, the main way that God changes nations is when people discover who he really is and decide to make Jesus their Lord and Savior. Now, most of us in the room, maybe all of us in the room, have made that decision. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And you know what? One of the main things we're called to do when we choose to follow Jesus, is to invite others to also meet Jesus, this one that we've met. And that's called evangelism. Now, that's not the only job of the Christian. 
as part of what's called the kingdom of God. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God breaking into the world. And so what's happening with soul justice is, is central to the heart of God. In Genesis 1, we're called to steward and care for creation. That's why caring for our environment matters. Everything good and beautiful, is, is, is we're called to see flourish and increase in the world around us. But at the apex of God's creation is the, is the human heart. And uh, the challenge that we have is to see our friends discover who God really is. But here's the reality. Most of us feel like rubbish evangelists, right? Most of us feel like rubbish evangelists. Now, it's interesting in the Scriptures that God gives certain people the grace, like an office, a, spe a special gifting to be evangelists. And some of you guys have this gift, and you are bold as brass. Like, you are so courageous, it scares me. My wife's like this. My wife is an evangelist through and through. And so my wife will walk up to people in the park that she's never met before and she'll begin chatting with them. And then next minute she's praying with them and leading them to the Lord. I'm like, how do you do that? I don't even want to talk to anyone in the park. You know, that's just full on and probably a bit weird for me as well. Like she's got children, probably a bit safer, but whatever. She, you know, sit on a plane, I'm headphones on, cave time. Any, any other introverts here? Just like, hallelujah, that sounds awesome. My wife, she's like, who am I sitting next to? Ooh. And then she just, is, she just constantly is leading people to faith, sharing her faith all the time. She's got stories just about every week of, the, of what she's done. And now I'm like, good on you, but that doesn't help me in terms of feeling like a rat's Christian. Anyone else with me here where it's like, oh, no, the evangelists are like talking about how awesome they are and like she's Jesus' cousin or something. And I'm like, I don't even know, you know, if he's real until I've had my fourth coffee and, and the, you know, leading, you're leading everyone to the Lord. And, you know, and so, so many of us can feel like we're not very good evangelists. And so this, uh, I discovered this through a wonderful pastor called Chris Hodges. And this is, uh, I quickly grabbed, now Chris Hodges is an amazing evangelist, but I'm not. And I jumped onto this because this is the cheat's guide to being, a, being an evangelist. Okay? So you, you can thank me later. But this is going to make you feel awesome. And guess what? This is powerful. Here, what we've given you are five scriptures that we want you to pray for someone in your life that you long to see Jesus encounter them. People that you are like, I want them to come to faith. I want them to know the love of Jesus. And can I encourage you to put anyone on that page, not just who you think is easy targets, low-hanging fruit, you know? You've got friends that are kind of Christians, they just haven't met Jesus yet, they're so nice. Yeah, well, you know, pray for your tough uncle who's an alcoholic or whatever. Pray for the tough cases. Pray for anyone you want because we've seen God do amazing things through this. So there's five things that, uh, that we want to invite you to pray, and this is powerful, uh, but to pray for your friend that you would like to see meet Jesus. Number one is this, to pray that the Father would draw them to Jesus. In John 6.44, Jesus says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. What Jesus is saying is here is that the Father draws people to Jesus. Now, I remember I was preaching actually about this a number of, uh, about two years ago. And uh, at the end, we had this altar call, and so I'm praying for some people afterwards, and this guy came up the front, and I was like, you know, how are you doing, bro? What's your name? And I was from a larger church, so I didn't know whether he was a regular or whether he was new. So I was like, you know, how long have you been coming here? He's like, oh, this is my first Sunday. Uh, this is the second Sunday. And, I, and I'm like, well, why have you come up? He says, I want to give my life to Jesus. And I'm like, yay, I've got a story. Uh, and, no, and I was like, okay, cool, bro. Um, 
And so, like, so what's been going on is like, man, I have just been living the most crazy lifestyle for the last 10 years, and it's wrecking me. And I'm like, well, what, how did you wind up here in this church? And he said, my mother's a Christian, and she's been praying for me. And what she said to me is that she's released the hounds of heaven, and they're, they're after me. And he's like, and so I'm here because they've got me. And I'm like, that's awesome. His mom had been praying that the father would draw him to Jesus, and he did. It was like he just walked into this church and met Jesus. And so we prayed for him and he recommitted his life to Jesus. And it was like, this is awesome. And this is what God wants to do with your friend. Pray, release the hounds of heaven. Whoever it is that God's placed on your heart, just be like, Lord, I release the hounds of heaven. Draw them. Father, draw them to Jesus. I speak in Jesus' name that you would be drawing people to your son. Come, Lord, do it. And get all frothed up on that. Number two, <laughs> tell the spirit that blinds their mind to leave. This comes from 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. It says this, The God of this age, little g, the little sneaky enemy mongrel, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Oh, Honestly, this when I read that verse, I was like, it all makes sense. Because I would go, I'd be so frustrated. I'd be like, why can I be in environments like this? And why can I go for a walk along the beach and just feel the presence of God so beautifully and so tangibly? He's so real to me. And I can be hanging out with another guy who's just like, doesn't feel anything. And I can be, I know I've been in conversations in cafes where it's like, I'm, I'm like, you can't feel the presence of God. And I'm like, I'm like trying to like push my vibes over him or something, like trying to get his, and I can't do it. That's a work of God. But he, oh, it's like this. Like, I can see my hand, but most of you can't. And this is what we're doing. We're praying that the spirit that's blinding their minds would be gone so they could see God for who he really is. How powerful is that? Right? We're going to bind that spirit that's, blind, that's blinded their minds so they could actually see God for who they really are. Number three, we're going to pray that they would know God as their heavenly Father. The spirit, this is from Romans 8.15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship and by him require Abba Father. I love that Matt encouraged the team and for us all to sing that beautiful song, You're a Good, Good Father, because that's who God really is. And you know, so much of, of our society have got a view of God that is so distorted from who He is that we would reject the God that they have rejected. That God is not an angry, judgmental old man in the sky waiting for you to screw up so He can make you feel stink. That's how culture and society and media have portrayed our God. It couldn't be further from the truth. Luke 15, at the climax of Luke's gospel, is this illustration of what God's like. And it's a father running without, with, with no regard for his own dignity towards his son. That's who he is, to embrace him. He's a good father. One of the best illustrations I've heard uh, about the nature of God comes from uh, a friend of mine. And his friends, so this is, you're going to have to draw a diagram in your head. So I've got my mate, and then his mates were adopting some children in an African country, which I can't name. 
And so they had gone over there to adopt these two little five-year-old twins, a boy and a girl. And so they went over to this African country and they stayed in this little house that was in this orphanage. And, uh, and so the children started living with them in this little house that they were in. And while in the first day or the first little while, they decided just to keep the schedule that the kids were used to in the orphanage. And that included an, uh, a little afternoon nap time. And so on the very first day, the children turn up to the house, and in the afternoon, they had this little nap. And Becky, the five-year-old girl, fell asleep just like that. But Billy, the five-year-old boy, he didn't fall asleep, and he was just lying there, and he was restless. And so Brian, the father, after a little while, asked Billy if he would like to come and lie on him to help him fall asleep, remembering this is the very first day that they were together as father and son. And Billy scrambled out of bed, he climbed into Brian's bed, and within seconds he was sound asleep and he stayed that way for a really long time. And this is the picture of little Brian and Billy. His wife took this picture. And my friend wrote this. We all rest more easily in the loving embrace of a father we barely know, who seems to be accepting us and loving us in ways we can't quite comprehend. But we feel the heartbeat, we feel the warmth, and we feel the arms of acceptance on our backs, and we can rest. This is what God is like. This is what God is like. And we are all Billy. We're all Billy. And we can just know the love of our Heavenly Father. And we've got a whole bunch of your mates out there who don't know God like this. And we are going to pray that they would know God as their loving, heavenly Father and that they would feel His embrace. Amen? The fourth thing we're going to pray is that believers would cross their path. Uh, the Bible says in nine, Matthew 9.38, Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into His harvest field. We're going to pray that believers would cross the path of your friend. Here's the thing. Your friend may not be reached by you. Get your head around that. It's quite liberating. Now, we need to do what, whatever God calls us to do, but your mate may not be reached by you. Uh, we've been praying this stuff for a number of years now, and so we've got a few stories about you know, things that have blown us away as we've seen God answer this prayer. And there was a person in my family, my sister, that I was praying for. And I was praying, uh, sorry, a lie. I wasn't praying for her. I was praying for her partner, her boyfriend at the time. And, uh, and I was praying that he would, he would come to know Jesus. And so he was, he was one of the people on my list that I was praying for. And, um, and so, like, I'm plucking up the courage to invite him to our next Alpha course and um, having these kind of deeping kind of times with, because I was a part, I'm a pastor, so, like, we're talking about this kind of God stuff. And anyway, I discover later, I thought I was the only Christian in his life. I discover later that his best mate had become an Anglican minister and had moved across the other side of the country years earlier, and had just recently moved back to the city we were all living, and was witnessing to my sister's boyfriend. <laughs> and like when he told me, like, I said, oh yeah, I've been talking to my other mate, blah, blah, blah. I just about fell off my seat, because I was like, oh my gosh, that's another believer that's crossed your path. That's awesome. Now, here's a top tip on this one. 
Um, you can pray however you want. I've been praying that God would send the good believers across the paths of my mates because there's a few weirdos out there, okay? So you can pray however you want. I'm not going to judge you however you want to pray. I'm praying, Lord, send the good ones, right? So we're praying that believers would cross their, their path. And the last thing, last thing we're going to pray is for Ephesians 1.17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you would know him better. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. This is, we're praying that there would be a moment when our friends encounter God and there's that moment where it's like revelation, like, ooh, that's who you are. Ooh. That moment of like, ooh. That's why I love the Alpha course. We're about to start it next week. I love it. I've run Alpha so many times because I'm, I'm a rubbish evangelist. So I'm like, if I'm a rubbish evangelist as a pastor, I'm going to get my church praying and we're going to run Alpha. That's how I'm going to tick that box because I feel pretty average at it for the, for the most part. And every time I do Alpha, I love watching people have this moment of revelation where it's like, ooh, I didn't think of, ooh, he's real. And it's just like, yes, that's why we do what we do. And it's, sometimes it's the most unlikely people. Now, Two stories to close, and then I'm going to go and invite Matt up to tell us how, what we're going to do tonight. But two stories to close. First is this. Uh, I had this, we had this friend of ours called Michael, and I really liked Michael. Uh, it was a girl called Michael, and she, uh, she's awesome because she's just really blunt, like just really straight, like really honest. And she's got, like, she wears her skeptical pants a lot uh, about, you know, like, so like when we started talking about this stuff, she was just wearing her skeptical pants. She was like, well, I'll give it a try, but nah, I'm not sure. Like, she was telling us that. Um, and I'm like, cool. Some of you guys might be wearing your skeptical pants tonight. That's cool. Um, I'm praying that, that you'll take your pants off later and um, put on your pants of faith, um, metaphorically speaking. Ugh, it came out weird. Um, anyway. Anyway, so what was I saying? Uh, so she was wearing her skeptical pants. Anyway, so... She, but she was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'll try this. And what we said to our church uh, a couple of years ago when we were doing this was, we, uh, we want you to pray for one month, for one person, for one minute a day. That was it. Just pray for one minute a day. Write someone down. So she wrote her neighbor on the list. And so for the month, she did it. She said she would just sit on the toilet, and toilet time was prayer time for her friend. And she, uh, I think she prayed one of these prayers a day rather than doing the whole thing. And she'll pray for one minute for her neighbor. And she thought nothing was happening. Two days before we started our Alpha course, because this is kind of our build-up to Alpha, um, she was hanging out with her neighbor, and she was thinking, I've blown it. Like, there's just no, I just haven't brought up Jesus recently at all. You know, this isn't working. And then her neighbor, just as she goes to leave, says, oh, yeah, by the way, like, you're a Christian, eh? She's like, yeah. Yeah, you go to church, eh? Yeah, I've been really thinking about this whole church thing for a bit and God thing. And, and, my, and Michael was like, I didn't say, I didn't bring it up. I didn't ask any questions. I literally just stood there and answered every single question that my neighbor threw at me for like the next 10 minutes. And then her neighbor's like, I just, I just would love to explore the Christian faith. <laughs> and so like, Michael's like, okay, well, we're running this alpha thing tomorrow night. Why don't you come and I'll go with you? And it's this perfect course for exploring the Christian faith. And so the next night, I see Michael walk in wearing her faith pants uh, with her neighbor. And, 
and like every time you do Alpha, like the first night, everyone looks a bit nervous who's the guests because they, some of them never been to church before and what's this whole thing about? Is this a weird cult thing or what's going on? And then it's like, so they look a bit nervous, but no one looked more surprised than Michael that night. She couldn't believe she was there. And so I'm completely geeking out. She's completely geeking out. And her friend's wondering what on earth is going on because we're like, what the heck's happening? And we had story after story after story after story because prayer works. And so often I think we've gone like, how do we pray for our lost friends? Well, we just kind of say, oh God, can you do something? When you combine prayer and the Word of God, it's dynamite. It's dynamite because you're not praying kind of wishy-washy prayers. You're praying targeted, powerful, scriptural prayers that do something in the spiritual realm that will change the lives of your friends. We had this uh, supermodel in New Zealand called Rachel Hunter. And she used to have this shampoo commercial uh, when I was a boy. That sounds really dodgy as well, actually. Uh, and, um, she, and the line was this. It may not happen overnight, but it will happen. And here's the thing with prayer, with praying for your friends, it may not happen overnight, but it will happen. Because my second story, and I land with this, is, is this. You met my grandfather last night. I introduced you to him. I told you about the life of my grandfather. What I didn't tell you was this. When he became a Christian, he, at the back of a little notebook, he wrote down the names of the people in our family that were not a Christian. And it was everyone, <laughs> long list, every single, and he wrote them all down at the back of his notebook. And he prayed every single day for the people on that list that weren't Christian. And do you know what happened? Over the course of 60 years, as he followed Jesus, one by one, he put a line through every single name except for Auntie Patsy. <laughs> she was tough. Now, she may have become a Christian. I don't know. That's between her and God. Uh, but, I, but barring Auntie Patsy, who I don't know the details about, every single person became a Christian. How insane is that? Again, yeah. And here's the thing, guys. Joshua walked into this promised land and he obeyed what God called him to do. What was the next step? The next step was to send some spies. What was the next step? They met Rahab. We're going to look after Rahab. God, what's the next step? I want you to march around the city seven times for seven days. And he just was obedient with those next steps. And here's the thing, guys. I want you to challenge you guys to be obedient about the next step that God's calling you to. And my guess is he wants you to pray and he wants you to read his word. But I want to challenge you to pray for one of your friends. And if you want, you can stick a whole lot of names down there and to commit to praying that they would maybe be at the next soul survivor or that they would be at the youth alpha that you may choose to run in your school someday. That just you'd begin to pray that they would come to know Jesus and you'd use these prayers to pray for them. Is that cool? So I don't know, Matt, why don't you come up? Because I don't, I don't know how you want to put meat on the bones on this one or wheels on the car or whatever the metaphor is. But uh, I think it'd be cool to, to incorporate this into me and Matt have been talking about this, about making this part of what we do at Soul Survivors, just pray for our friends that they'll come to know Jesus.